This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 19th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I am excited for this hour with you to help guide you through this new era, the new era that brings us fiscal dominance, where government spending is what really drives the overall economy more than, say, Fed policy. You've seen that as of late, right? Fed raises rates and doesn't really cool the economy very much. Why? Because governments are spending a lot. And a lot of that is by choice. A lot of that is just simply the structure of the way governments have have uh, put budgets in place. Think of Social Security and Medicare. And this is a trend that is not reversing. It's not reversing because obviously those programs are sacrosanct. They, they can't be changed unless you want to alienate a large portion of your electorate. And there hasn't been a crisis yet, I emphasize yet, to really put them in their place and force their hand. But we all know that that crisis will come at some point, someday. But they're going to push it off and they're going to create a different economic environment than we're used to. And thus a different market environment. Because ultimately the things that mattered a decade ago matter less. Like the Fed's ultimate interest rates that it's charging is less important than, say, its balance sheet. So these are differences in today's economy, today's market, that uh, are important to pay attention to and understand. Otherwise, you're going to get caught flat-footed, caught on the wrong side of the trade using an old model. And frankly, in many ways, the powers that be are, are still doing that. So we're going to talk about all this. We're going to give you some useful data that we have at our fingertips. That we pay for, obviously, to manage client accounts and do our own analysis. And we're going to give you our unbiased perspective, developed with over 20-plus years of investment experience. So we're going to talk about the market performance. We're going to run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hi, I'm calling about stock Casey's General Stores, ticker C-A-S-Y. I'd like to know what you think about this company and if it's a good buy or sell. Thanks. All right. Looking at Casey's General Stores, C-A-S-Y, about a $9.5 billion market cap. That's called $10 billion. And this has very strong relative strength, 90. So its business is doing very well. It's acquiring 
63 more convenience stores as of August, but they operate 2,521 convenience stores in 16 Midwestern states. And the one thing I will say is I like the geography of their business. Obviously, a lot of people from the high-cost areas are moving into places like the Midwest and taking advantage of lower-cost housing, lower-cost standard of living. And many of them are keeping the same incomes because they're working remotely, for example. So people are moving more into these rural areas and more than half of the company stores are located in areas with populations of fewer than 5,000 people. Now, what you could say is that might limit their growth. What they're, what they're doing here is they're Paying attention to unloved areas, areas where there's still enough people to make it worthwhile, enough people with enough income to buy at their stores, but that the major major big box retailers have ignored. And so they're kind of filling that gap. So that's how they've maintained pretty strong earnings growth. Now, this is trading at a bit of a elevated multiple, and that would be my first worry here. If you're looking at something like enterprise value EBITDA, you're at 11 and a half times. That's not crazy high, but it's you know a bit elevated. If you look in the history of the business, that's about average. So it's compared to where it typically trades, it, I would say it's not overvalued or undervalued. The issue is that earnings are now slowing. This year, earnings are supposed to fall 1%, so flatten out, and you're paying above market multiples 22 times for looking earnings for a company who has flat growth. That typically is not a fantastic recipe. Now, one thing I will say, good balance sheet. Not a lot of debt, about $1.5 billion in net debt in its balance sheet on a $10 billion market cap. That's perfectly fine. It's times interest earned is 13 times. So it earns plenty of money in order to pay that debt. So I have no issue there. It's free cash flow is strong at about 371 million trailing 12 months, which puts it at a free cash flow yield somewhere in the 4% range. Once again, not amazing, but solid. Uh, so overall, I think it's fairly valued. The technicals are perfectly fine. It has pulled back here as of late and support would be right around the two, let's call it 260 mark. And now it's at 264. So you're in that support level and it's in a strong uptrend. So overall, because of that technical picture and the fact that it's a good business, good balance sheet at reasonable valuations, not cheap, but reasonable valuations, I'm going to Casey's a thumbs up. All right. We've got a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes. So here's what I've planned. My focus point looks in the story set up by this headline, hedge against inflation, how high tips yields benefits retirees. Now, after many years languishing at unacceptable levels, the yields for tips have soared. So your retirement income strategy needs a way to hedge against inflation and you need inflation protection. So we're going to talk about that and how tips can fit into all of, uh, all of that planning process. Okay. Also speaking of inflation, housing, it is one of the major drivers. In fact, it is the major driver of the inflation outlook we are seeing in the numbers. The last CPI report, 70% of the total increase 
in all items came from the shelter portion of the index, 70. Uh, if you take out f- f- food and fuel, so talk about core, okay? 70% of the core is housing. So we're going to talk about why that is and why what needs to fix it. And it's probably not what you're thinking, okay? Also, Chinese investors are selling U.S. stocks and bonds. And that's at a four-year high. And this hits on something we talk about a lot, which is a strong dollar tends to be bad for asset prices. And this is one of the reasons is that foreign investors suddenly get pressured. And oftentimes they sell dollar-denominated assets like equities and bonds. And then lastly, if we have time, we're just going to touch in general about the disruption that these higher bond yields can have across the market. Not just in the bond market, but the ramifications, the uh, the reverberating effect it can have across different asset classes. Okay, so that's on the what's on the docket for me today. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to EOG resources as well as Costco. Let's talk about the market performance today. It was decidedly red day overall. You had some big movers to the downside. You had Tesla after hours down 9.3%, 9.3%. Big move uh, downwards on Tesla. Or some of the other big losers? Lithium Americas. Remember, I talk about lithium all the time. Not a great way to gain exposure to the green revolution because of easy and, re- and easy supply. You just continue to see those businesses take it on the chin and uh, just more more backing up that uh, that thought process and so um yeah avoid the lithium uh, makers uh, lithium miners what else you had small caps down about one and a half percent large caps down about 0.9 percent so large caps definitely outperformed today but really it was all about jerome powell's speech and he kind of talked dovishly in some ways kind of talked hawkishly in some ways. The market certainly gyrated up and down. Initially, it rallied on his speech, and then it sold off into the close. But the dollar didn't take off, and I thought that was certainly of note. All right, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest.Classroom series. It's streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. Episode 11 is titled Options. Learn more about options and search Invest.Classroom on YouTube. But right now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. Profit amidst chaos. Strategic investing in a recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. How could the next recession differ from previous events? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now.
Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. And along the way, you're sure to have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Jason. He's in Illinois, and he wants to talk about Nor- Norwegian Cruise Lines. Hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you for everything you do. Of course. I, so, I am calling today about Norwegian Cruise Lines. I own a small position in it, mm-hmm. and um, it's been pulling back ever since the second quarter earnings report. Um, mm-hmm. They did have some poor guidance uh, with oil prices going up, but... Uh, it's pulled back quite a bit from its 52-week high, and I was thinking about adding to my position here, but I wanted to see your opinion on the investment. Uh, I would actually be selling it, to be honest with you. Uh, the issue here is the balance sheet. They have about $12 billion in net debt on their balance sheet on a market cap of $6 billion. Their times interest earned is actually negative. So I don't like that. The free cash flow remains negative, and earnings revisions – are to the downside. So yes, analysts are expecting to make 80 cents this year, $1.48 next year, but we're going into what likely will be at some point next year, I think a recession. Now, I think it's going to be a mild one. I don't think it's going to be an 08 recession, but still you don't want companies that have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. And this is certainly one of them. So I would definitely be selling. I would not be adding to this name. Look for a company that has a much better balance sheet than this. It's, it's clear why they do have a tough balance sheet. It's because of the pandemic and you know they had to borrow money and they lost a bunch of money during that time. Uh, but unfortunately, that's left them in a very vulnerable position. So I, I would absolutely be selling Norwegian Cruise Lines. Thank you, Justin. No problem. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kevin in the Bay Area. He wants to talk about Mexican bonds. Yeah, hi, Justin. Nice, uh, nice to talk with you. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Uh, I've only started doing some uh, uh, exploration to buying uh, foreign government bonds and in mm-hmm. particular looking at Mexican bonds, particularly the one year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you've talked a lot on the show about some headwinds for the uh, Mexican econ- economy, in particular with onshoring and the industrial expansion um, for that country. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. can you just talk a little bit about what are some of the risks and things to consider when purchasing um, foreign government bonds? Well, the first thing would be currency risk. Because you're probably getting paid in dollars, and that means they have to go and get dollars in order to pay you. And if the value of their currency falls, it makes it harder for them to go and get dollars to pay you. Um, and, in, and even if they're paying you in pesos, right, you have to transition those back into dollars as well. Um, so it depends on what type of uh, bonds you're looking at. Either way, there's currency risk. Now, I will say... I, 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 when you talk about headwinds, they're actually tailwinds, right? Tailwinds to the, the Mexican eco- economy, all of those factors. And so I, I like the geopolitical position that they're in, far away from what's happening in the Middle East and in Europe. So I think that's a positive. They also resource rich. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of oil and gas. So if you're going to buy a foreign government bond, Mexico, I think, is a pretty good one to do that. But understand those risks that I talked about. All right, we're heading into a break. I'm ready for your questions now at 888-99-CHART. 
seven things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point looks in the story set up by this headline Hedge Against Inflation, How High Tip Yield, Tips Yields Benefit Retirees. Now, after many years of really poor and unacceptable levels of returns for yields and tips, the landscape has changed. And your retirement income strategy needs a way to hedge against inflation. And we all need inflation protection. So let's talk about it. Now, for a long period of time, especially during the era of QE, the Fed had kept the tips yields subdued. In fact, in 2020 and 2021, you actually got negative real tips yields. Now, tips work for everyone else out there is there's a certain level of nominal return that you're going to get, and then you'll get additional return indexed to inflation. Kind of like how what's happening with I-bonds. But I-bonds, they kind of reset everything every six months. With tips, they're more actively traded, more liquid as well. And right now, you actually can get on a 30-year 2.38% real yield Meaning, this is what you're going, you're going to get the inflation rate plus that 2.38% each year for 30 years. On the 10 year, you can get 2.28%. And that's the highest level we've seen in a decade. The highest level you've seen in a decade. Now, there's a way to boost that a little bit more by basically giving up your principal, saying at the end, I'll say that 10 years, that your you're not going to, uh, it's called a strip basically, but allows you to take that additional capital and get it more, even more exposure to the income that this bond is going to give you. Now, this is very different than your typical bond that most people buy. So you go buy a 10-year treasury, for example. Right now, right, we're at about 5%. Now, if inflation going forward is 3%, you have a 2% real yield, okay? But let's say inflation is double that. Say it's 6% over the next 10 years. Guess what? That 5% is bad. That's negative real yield, meaning that you're losing purchasing power each and every year. And that's why tips, if you can buy them with the requisite amount of additional real yield, they can be great choices, better choices, and a hedge against inflation and can be an important part of your retirement income strategy. And they've been forgotten for a long period of time because those real yields were very low. Even in the 20, around 2014, 2015, you were hanging around half a percent, one percent, not, not very good. But now we're at two and a quarter percent and rising. Now, I probably wouldn't go out 10 years, but kind of shorter-term tips certainly make a lot of sense. 
because you're not taking a ton of duration risk, but you are guaranteeing yourself. Remember, that's what any treasury you buy, whether it's a traditional treasury that has a fixed coupon or it's a tips. It's guaranteed. Now, you could argue, well, the inflation figure isn't going to match my personal inflation rate. That can happen too, right? The headline inflation number might be different than the inflation figure that you are feeling. But that's why you get that nice two plus percent cushion that whether you feel that same amount of inflation or not, you're, you're probably still going to get positive real yields. So when you can combine this with another good inflation hedge, which is equities, a lot of people don't realize that equities are a good inflation hedge. Now each sector is a little bit different there. But in general, equities tend to be good inflation hedges. Why? Because prices in the economy go up. And profit margins across businesses tend to remain relatively static. At least within a range. And therefore, higher prices in the economy, similar profit margins, higher earnings per share. And that's higher dividends, etc. So for the first time in over a decade, tips are finally attractive again. So if you're looking to build out a retirement income portfolio, retirement income strategy, you need to start looking at tips. All right, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this story. Mortgage demand has fallen to the lowest level since 1995 as interest rates near 8%. The average contract interest rate for the 30-year fixed mortgage increased to 7.7% while applications for mortgages were 21% lower than the same week last year. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. 
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is a longtime listener here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I have a question for you, gentlemen, please. I've been watching for quite some time here three consumer stocks, I guess you'd call them Costco, Lululemon, and TJX. They all seem to be good companies for me, um, to me. I've heard you guys talk about them on the show before. The thing is, I've been waiting for this recession to happen or a pullback, and it never happens, and they never come down in price. They all are making good money. Their stock price seems to go up here over time, and um, I believe they're all paying down on their debt, and they're increasing their stock price by doing buybacks and so forth. Is there any one of these three that looks more appealing to you, or do you feel they'll ever come down in price with a recession possibly happening in 24 or anything? Or do I just buy them at what price they are and hold them for long term and enjoy the dividend and the slow stock increase that we'll incur? I'm kind of frazzled about this, so thank you for your help. Have a good day. Well, no reason to be frazzled. The consumer has held up well, and it's not shocking to see the companies that have good balance sheets, like you said, which all of these have solid balance sheets, uh, and rising earnings, and thus their stock price remains strong. Now, the strongest one is TJ Maxx, because it's had the best earnings growth, and I would easily argue it has the most resilient business model of these three. Because remember, they offer they they operate forty eight hundred off price retailer retail and home goods stores. Meaning, these are stores that even in bad times, people tend to go to to get bargains. People love bargains and good times, but they are head over heels for bargains during rough times, and so. If I'm picking one of these three to go into 2024 with, it would be TJ Maxx. Now, all three, like you said, are good businesses. But obviously, Costco, you go into a Costco, they sell a lot of food and consumer staple type items. But they also sell big screen TVs and jewelry and things that are more discretionary. And so if you look in the history of their business, their business does ebb in times of recession. So... Costco would be the one where I think it will come down to more reasonable valuations. Same with Lulu. Lulu's in a competitive space. And in fact, if you look at the chart, it's really gone nowhere since the fall of 2020 when it hit $400 per share. And it's just basically been chopping in that range ever since. And it's trading at a high multiple 36 times. It's really just been growing into the high multiple, but not fully. Because those uh, the, the multiple still remains elevated, and they are in the athletic apparel world, and they have a lot of competition from the likes of Aloe and Nike. But it's still a good business. But once again, going back to the last recession, their business was very cyclical. So, if the one if 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 there's one that I would be less patient on, it'd be TJ Maxx because I don't think they'll be hurt too much by a recession. In fact, you could argue that they could be they could be benefited by a recession. 
Whereas Costco and Lulu, I'd be more patient on that you'll find a better value in the coming years when there is an ebb in consumer spending. All right, thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little bit about the housing market. And we all know the U.S. economy has been pretty resilient. Fed pandemic, U.S.-China decoupling, you've had a war, now it's multiple wars in the, in the Middle East and in Europe. You have political chaos in Washington with the speaker issue as well as just chaos in general. And you would say it's held up resiliently. And then there's housing, which for a lot of people – they use the 08 playbook and there's going to be a housing crash and they really don't understand the dynamics of that market. Now, if you look at the CPI number, it's up 7.2% over the last year, simply on the shelter portion of the index. And if you strip out food and fuel, Looking at the core number, 70% of that total increase in CPI was shelter. So this is what's keeping inflation elevated, which is very different than what you're seeing overseas. In the UK, housing prices are down 13.4% in real terms from their March 2022 peak. And... Once again, people say, oh, rates are high. Prices have to fall. But they're not understanding the underlying dynamic within the, the U.S. housing market. And that is the fact that since the 08 crisis, the number of housing units starts dropped off a cliff. And the demand has far outpaced supply. That means in the U.S., we are millions of units short of what the population actually needs. And then you add on top of that the mortgage lockdown where nobody wants to refinance and trading their 3% mortgage for a 7 or 7.5% mortgage or now 8% mortgage. And then on a local level, many cities would push through affordable housing, but on the local and even more micro local level, not a lot of people want affordable housing in their backyard. So a lot of homeowners vote against projects near them. And city politics around zoning tends to favor opponents of development as opposed to the developers. And then on top of that, you have rising cost of labor, materials, and that has made new home construction a lot less palatable. And then the home builders are still, they still have PTSD. You think the average person has PTSD from 08. The home builders also have it as well because they almost went extinct, right? They almost went bankrupt. And so they're only really building things when there's they're sold. There's not a lot of just unbuilt supply sitting out there waiting to be sold. They're only doing it, they're only actually building it when they feel very, very confident they can sell it. So this is the main driver of inflation right now. The 
The median home price is up 29% since 2021, since interest rates have gone up. So we're unlikely to see a major housing correction anytime soon because of that undersupply. Remember, it's not just demand, which is what most people focus on. Most people only focus on demand. Oh, we're going we're gonna to sell more. There's going to be more EVs, right? People want EVs. People want Teslas. People want EVs. Well, what about the supply of EVs? Is that going to keep up with it? Talked earlier about lithium. Oh, we're going to build more EVs and batteries. We're going to need more lithium. That's demand. They don't think about the supply. And right now, you have a major supply issue. Yes, demand is down. Demand is near the lowest levels in decades. But supply is even lower. So until we get a handle on America's supply of homes getting that higher, the affordability crisis is only going to continue. All right, the Talk Voice Bank never closes, and that means you can leave your question anytime, day or night. And we will get to it on a future podcast. So let's play another question now from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Ray from Illinois. Very much appreciate the podcast and everything you teach your listeners. I have a question about fractional shares. A lot of the online brokers are advertising fractional shares. And I was wondering, from your standpoint, is there a downside in buying fractional shares versus whole shares? Uh, just thinking in terms of investing in round dollar amounts as opposed to specific number of shares when buying and selling stocks. If you could let me know, I would appreciate it. Thank you. I don't think there's really a downside. I know they have some mechanics on the back end to make that happen. You right, technically uh, owning, you can't own a fraction, but you know the, the brokers make that happen. Uh, I know when you go and sell it, say on the market, you you know they're going to combine those fractional shares with maybe other sales and create an average price. And you know it's there's a lot of back end minutia that shouldn't really concern you because you're talking fractions of a penny (laughs) that typically it might cost you for fractional shares. Uh, So I don't think it matters. I don't think it shouldn't be a reason you buy or sell anything. I I would never think about being on a platform because I can buy a fractional share or a whole share should not even enter your mind of a reason why you're on one platform or another. There are a billion other reasons to be on one broker, whether that's Schwab or TD Ameritrade, hopefully not Robinhood. Uh, uh, Schwab, I guess TD's gone, uh, but E-Trade, Fidelity, et cetera. And fractional shares is not a consideration, should not be consideration in your book. All right, let's make it two in a row here in Invest Talk at 888 chart Hi, this is Nick from the Bay Area. I recently bought Pioneer Resources and it was just acquired by Exxon. So I'm looking for another independent oil producer. And I'm looking at a couple different stocks, EOG, Devon, and Cotera. Which of the three would you say would be the best one to look at? I'm, I'm having trouble trying to figure out which one would be a good play, especially since I think maybe Chevron or ConocoPhillips may swoop in to buy another one of these independents. Uh, any of your thoughts would be appreciated. Thanks. Have a good day. 
All right. Uh, I like what you're thinking. Hey, I don't want to own Exxon because maybe I want something that's more of a pure play EMP name. And you named a few of those. Coterra Energy CTRA, I believe the smallest of these three. Let me look here. Yep. About $20 billion market cap, $22 billion market cap. And I know they are primarily natural gas. So what type of exposure to natural gas space do you have? I think is a, is a big question here. If you don't have a lot of exposure, this would probably be the one for me. Very good natural gas play. Now, the other two, EOG, this is a shale play. It is operations in the Permian Basin, Eagle Ford, and the Bakken. And it's about 73% oil, 27% natural gas. So kind of the opposite of Kutera, definitely more leaning on the side of, uh, of oil. Devon Energy, it's one of the largest independent EMP companies in North America. And it looks like oil and natural gas liquids make up 73%. So similar, right? Similar makeup as EOG. Now, longer term, EOG has been a much better allocator of capital just has look at the chart look at the profitability it's just on been on better footing and i believe let me look at the balance sheet here yeah definitely better balance sheet with eog as well so if i'm picking one or the other the safer more consistent play is going to be eog but if you're looking for natural gas exposure, then it would probably be Kotera. So those would be my top two, just depending on what your other exposure is and what you want more exposure to. All right, let's try to squeeze in one more caller question now. Hi, my name is Lou, longtime listener. I was wondering what your thoughts are on Timco Dynamic Fund, PDI. I've invested a little bit into that fund and I'm just wondering if I should continue investing or just hold it. Thanks. Bye. I think you should sell it. You're looking at chasing the dividend, and that is on leverage. They have a 44% leverage ratio here. You're going to look at a 16.5% distribution rate currently, which sounds very, very high. But what you're doing is you're buying a portfolio of bonds. That's what this is. This is a bond fund. Okay. And you are going to get duration exposure. And then you're getting that duration exposure with leverage with leverage, 44% leverage, in fact. And that's why it continues to move aggressively to the downside. 7% of this portfolio has a maturity at 30 years or longer, 16% at 20 to 30 years, 12% at 15 to 20, 42% 10 to 15 years. So this is a long duration exposure. This is a lot of long duration exposure. And that's why, if you look at the performance, let's look at the performance so far this year. Try to get this loaded. It is down drastically. Now, it looks worse on the chart than it really is, but then that's because it's paying that dividend. But it's now at a 52-week low. Started off the year right around, started off the year on a, a, a low point. Right around $18 and change, rallied to $21 as of early February, and now it's at $15.79. Now you're getting that yield throughout the year, but clearly you don't want to be in a long, a leveraged long duration bond fund. 
you know, be any long, any any long duration bond fund, but you especially don't want to be in a levered one. So I'm absolutely passing on PDI, Pimco Dynamic Income. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here in each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos. Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. I had a question regarding the dollar and commodity plays. If the U.S. dollar starts to weaken, I'm wondering which uh, types of commodity plays might benefit the most. Would it be U.S.? commodities that sell mostly to U.S. or would it be the U.S.-based commodity companies that trade internationally or send their commodities internationally or would it be the international commodities, the companies that are based in other countries like Canada or Brazil or, or Europe? Just wondering how that all plays together in terms of how it affects their incomes and profits. Look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thank you. Well, a weaker dollar is going to benefit all commodities in general because the dollar is simply the, do the, the denominator, right? It's, if you think of how much something is priced per barrel, that is the numerator, the barrel, the amount, and then the denominator is the, uh, is, is the dollar. And so if that goes down, then price goes up. Okay, that's how fractions work. And so in general, weaker dollar does help that. Now, when you're talking about the end demand increase, typically when the dollar is weaker, our industrial economy gets better because our prices are more competitive compared to the rest of the world. So you could argue that any company that sells more directly to the industrial base of the United States would benefit the most from a weaker dollar. Now, once again, in general, a weaker dollar helps all commodities. But this is, uh, you're talking about the minutia of supply and demand, supply and end demand, and certainly that would help companies that sell into the United States. All right. Now, lastly, let's talk about Chinese investors and the fact that they are dumping US dollar denominated assets. About 15 billion of the total 21 billion dollars in net sales in the month of August were in US treasuries. So that was the main thing that Chinese investors sold off and you saw that manifest in higher yields, lower prices for treasuries. About five billion of that twenty-one point two billion was equities. So that also manifested in lower prices in the month month of August as well. And this was what I talk about with the dollar. Stronger dollar tends to break things. Weaker dollar tends to be better for, like I said, the domestic economy. Uh, but just simply global dollar denominated debt 
that becomes easier to pay when the dollar is weaker, when the dollar, when the when dollars are more abundant. And then there is there are currency pegs like the Chinese curse currency, and that has fallen five point seven percent against the dollar this year. And a big part of that is the widening interest rate differential between U.S. government debt and Chinese government debt. And the weak Chinese economy, driven by liquidity crisis within the property sector and less foreign direct investment in their manufacturing sector, for example. Now, we don't know the exact motives for this selling of assets, but it's pretty clear that it was to stabilize their currency overall. The timing happened and lined up with the floor in the renminbi's dollar exchange rate. So when it hit that floor, you saw more dollar-denominated assets sold in order to get dollars and support the currency. That's how this works. They go and take dollars and they buy the currency. That's supporting the currency. But they need dollars to do that. In order to get those dollars, they sell assets. And so... Well, you definitely don't want to be investing in Chinese assets. This has a knock-on effect here. And this is why I always watch the dollar to see how strong it is compared to the major currencies. And if it gets too strong, like it has of late, it starts to break things. And so we're at this kind of inflection point. Will the dollar get weaker or will we hit new highs higher than we saw last year? If we do, that's a problem. If we start to roll over again, it should be good for risk assets. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And be sure to check out our, our Invest Talk classroom series. And our episode 11 is now up on options. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.